0: Well, children can go to Children's Church if we have anybody here. <laughs> I had that on the top of my list of things to say, so uh, I've got 50% of it done so far. <laughs> oh, well, welcome this morning. We're so glad to have you guys here, and uh, it's, it's great to be up here. It's kind of a last minute, but uh, glad to be able to fill in for Wayne, and we're glad you're back here as well. So, yeah, it's a different view from over there, isn't it, than from, from down front, so... <laughs> oh. Well, let's pray together, and uh, then we'll begin looking at Acts 13 again and just thinking about God's use of the men in the church, the people of the church, to proclaim his message to those who are outside the church and hoping to be drawn in through the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our morning here as we get to share not only your word together, but we get to share the fellowship that comes from knowing you As we're here together as believers in Christ, and those who aren't, who get to experience with us what uh, we're training and teaching and uh, the encouragement that we get from one another. Lord, as we hear your word, as we proclaim your word, we just ask that it will go to our hearts, make an impact in us so that we too will be able to respond like Paul and Barnabas and the apostles of old. And missionaries throughout the ages have responded to your word by proclaiming it even more boldly day by day. God, this morning, as we look again to your word, we ask for your spirit to be upon us, for clarity to be brought, for an encouragement that is there that will push us forward, even as we read and sang in the song, Facing the Task Unfinished. Father, as we look to the world around us, we ask that your word would guide us into how we should act, how we should respond, what we should say, how we can proclaim your message boldly. Guide us now this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll see if uh, things are up on the screen. It looks like it's uh, saying something. I see it back there, but that doesn't necessarily guide me with what's happening up there. Well, We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 13. We read through it a little bit this morning, and uh, we'll look at that again. But uh, what a great place to see what God is doing through his word in the people of God and the people of the world As we look at the Word of God, I want to think you to think about how just absolutely wonderful it is to not only know the Word, but to be able to boldly proclaim it, to use our own voices to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our salvation that He paid with His own blood for our salvation. And we've received the Lord as a free gift if we've accepted those truths, and we know What he has done. And so it should give us a life then of boldness, not of timidity or other things. And we'll look at that here in this passage. But Paul, this guy who's the author of much of the New Testament, we were just talking the other day about how he was, he's like a serial killer. And he was against Christianity, opposed to everything, the truth of God. And yet he was changed. And he makes a bold statement in Romans 1, verse 16. You see, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel. The guy who wrote that, he knew a little something about being bold, but he wasn't always bold for the right reasons, as I mentioned earlier. Sometimes, uh, as you know his backstory, you learn about Paul, then his name was Saul. You know, he watches another man get stoned to death as he's holding the, the coats he goes out right after that and uh, gets letters so that he can put others in prison and uh, is giving threats of murder on them. In Acts chapter 8 through 9, as Wayne preached through this, you heard Saul many times come through with what he was doing. He was ravaging the church, says, entering house after house, dragged off the women and men and committed them to prison, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So his worldly boldness was opposed to God. But God had some other plans, as you might see. The Lord said, Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the church of Israel. That's an incredible difference between a man who's wanting to kill to a man who's wanting to bring life. So Saul's response to God, he said, Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the son of God. That's a, that's a quick response. That's an incredible shift in mentality. It says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And in, in chapter 9, verse 22, it talks about him. He attempted to join the disciples, and they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. That's how drastically different it was. They knew all of his killing sprees that he was going on. But now to be proclaiming the exact opposite message, it gave them a little trepidation. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So these words, not ashamed of the gospel that Paul says, they really highlight the feelings of Paul as he responds to the gospel. And now you see that opposite. And not only is it a response of not ashamed, sometimes we see that, It means that I am bold for the gospel. My dad and I were talking about this a while back. We were all sitting around the table, and there's that that negative use, I am not ashamed, to really highlight the positive. As we read through the book of Acts, Luke uses it all the time. There was no little commotion or something like that, which means there was a, a huge uproar of people. And the same is here. I was not ashamed, but now I am bold for the gospel. So Paul knows that the good news he's is proclaiming is not just some words that he jotted down quick on a piece of parchment so that he could make a presentation that morning. The good news is what God decreed with power for the eternal salvation of every single person in the world who believes. The, God, the gospel, that changes lives for eternity. So if we're reading through the book of Acts, in the timeline, there's a few years where you don't hear anything about this guy, this guy Saul. He kind of goes dark. But in Acts chapter 9, he's sent off to Tarsus where he's trained. You find out that God is teaching him. Now, we're going to keep looking at the book of Acts here in chapter 13. We're going to see this guy named Saul who is now called Paul and see how he is bold for Christ along with his friend Barnabas. It's not just Paul alone. And together they are so not ashamed of the gospel that they can't help but speak up and boldly proclaim God's message to the Jews, to the Greeks, to all those who are are able to hear. They want to talk about who God is. They talk about Jesus Christ, sin, salvation, all of these things that are offered. Now, if you think about Paul, humanly speaking, as you think about his life, he talks about it as he writes to the other churches, as he writes in the book of Acts, the the stories there that you see of him. Humanly speaking, Paul is... uh, He's had a really a lifetime of excuses to say, not me, God, not not this time. I'm not going to open my mouth to speak. Every time I do open my mouth, I get my teeth kicked out. He's like, persecution comes. He could say he wouldn't want to do these things. If you look over the book of Acts, especially, he's imprisoned in Philippi. He's chased out of Thessalonica. He's smuggled out of Berea. He's laughed at in Athens. He's regarded as a fool in Corinth. And he's even stoned in Galatia and left for dead. And still, Paul remained eager to preach the gospel. Neither ridicule, criticism, or even physical harm kept him from being bold, curbing his boldness. So we're going to see here in Acts 13 what we too can expect and anticipate as we follow in their bold footsteps, proclaiming boldly. Acts 13, verse 13. I'd encourage you to read the rest of the chapter, maybe not right now, but uh, read the the other parts of it as well, because it's uh, just a great compilation of how God used the boldness of their words to change the lives of people. But Acts 13, verse 13. We'll read through this again. The scripture reading gives you a a good overview of it. We're going to delve into the individual verses here as we continue. Verse 13 Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement, say it to the people. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and those who fear God, listen. So we think about the bold. They realize opportunities. Realize doesn't just mean recognize opportunities, but they make them come about as well. They realize opportunities. Saul, now Paul, to anybody remembering those names and faces, it's the same man, but with this radically new, new heart, he has something to say. He's even known by a new name, as we know. It's a Roman name, Paul. And he has a new message, that message of salvation, and not the sword. So he's eager for opportunities to share what God has done, to share what God has exposed his heart to, the truth of the gospel. And he wants to proclaim that hope found only in God. So his life was a, a life of worship. And here they're in a new city. We find him and others with that purpose of worship. Verse 14 says, In the Sabbath day they went out in the synagogue and sat down. They want to serve and worship God. And while worshiping, they're handed this opportunity to speak in the midst of the crowd. There's Jews and Greeks alike there. What would you do? What would you do if you're new in the crowd? See, we've got some new, new in the crowd here. What's your first reaction when you get called to, to speak or to read or even pray? You know, especially as a guest at an event. A lot of times, oh, I'll pass this time. Well, no thanks, not right now. Maybe even, no way, that's not me. I've done that before. I've had those thoughts. But let's look at Paul. How did he, how did he respond in verse 16? So Paul stood up, pretty immediate, motioning with his hand, he says, listen, listen. He saw the opportunity for boldness and he took it. He made it happen. Immediately, he realized the opportunity that was there. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He wasn't worried what was going to go on, but he used it as an opportunity to proclaim God's word. If God gives us an opportunity to speak about his goodness, are we ready to open our mouths like Paul did and encourage others through who we want to tell them who God is and what God has done as found in his word? That's what Paul does. Sometimes we want to encourage by saying, oh, I hurt my finger the same way. I mean, those are good ways to encourage because we are comforted so we can comfort others. But as Paul is called to encourage, what's his word of encouragement? It comes from the word of God to affect the people that their heart will be turned to God so they can become people of God. The bold realize opportunities. So are you ready to speak for God and salvation wherever he offers that opportunity? Are you looking for opportunities? Let's keep reading here in verse 16. Listen to Paul's encouragement. We'll actually go into verse seventeen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with upflipped His arms, He led them out of it. And for forty years, He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. And after that, He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and He gave them Saul the son of Kish, the man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king on whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart whom will do my will. We've probably heard that verse a few times. We know about David. Here's a man after his own heart. But the next verse is even more important than that verse about David and his heart. It says of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior as he has promised. Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And As John was finishing his chorus, he said, Who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is coming one, the sandals of whom I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of Abraham, and those of you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, Because they did not recognize nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Not only do the bold realize opportunities to speak, they also reveal God's power. The bold reveal God's power. This is one of the overarching things that you'll see when Paul speaks. As you read here, what's one, one thing you might take note of as you see what Paul just spoke of? I would say that he knew his scriptures. That's one of the things I pulled from that. He knew his scriptures. Not only, we would say he knew his Bible. We don't have, he didn't have a Bible like this. He had Old Testament was the, what he was, had been trained on, what he learned and knew. He didn't have all the books of the New Testament and everything put together in a nice, concise little package. We were talking about this the other day, how you know the, the Torah scrolls can be huge, weighing a lot of, a lot of uh, pounds just for the one scroll. And here he proclaims the word of God, knows these things, has been studying them. He knew what God had done in Israel's past, what God was doing in his life and even in his recent past, And he knew what God was promised for the future as he's looking from God's word. He knew the scriptures. And it was through the scriptures that he was able to reveal God's power. So he knew and understood that the gospel that he had received was the same gospel that was given for him to proclaim to others. It's a salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You know, Paul, it's not Paul's academics that made him believe and understand God, although he studied under the best, Gamaliel. It wasn't eloquent words. He even says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. But it was through the obedience to God, depending on God's power, to be at work in the life of unbelievers. He kept recognizing that he is bold for the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, the rulers of the synagogue they're probably thinking, Paul, we asked you a simple question. We said, do you have any word of encouragement? Not words of encouragement, not a whole, whole explanation of all these things. What are you talking about, Paul? Jesus was a savior for Israel? God promised a savior from the king of David? Israel was even called to repentance and sent a message of salvation? How can you say these things? The words we've been reading the law and the prophets every week for ages were fulfilled by executing this man, Jesus. Can this really be true? Well, when you hear the word of God, when it's been preached or taught, are you thinking about the words that you're hearing? These Pharisees, these guys who had been proclaimed, hearing the word every week in the synagogues, they weren't even hearing the word that it was being proclaimed. They, they would say it, but that was it. That, that's as far as it was going. They weren't paying attention Maybe they were just waiting for the next thing. What's the next thing on the list? We've done our ritual. We read this. this. Now we're going to ask for some people to give encouragement. Then we'll move on to the next thing. Sometimes that's how our our lives live. Our phones beep in our pocket and we suddenly think, oh yeah, that'd be great for lunch. Maybe we should should do that. And uh, we can get distracted easily as we're thinking about the word of God. Now These guys had been hearing scripture for years, yet they missed the importance of how God's commands and promises for their lives were being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So now was the time for them and for us as we hear God's word to understand and take note of the power of God. Verse 30, speaking of phones, that's right on time. Verse 30 starts out looking at the power of God again. But God But God raised him from the dead. And for many years he appeared to those who had come up from the Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. You know, that's responding to the promise he had given David of his eternal kingdom. It says, Therefore, he says in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. But God starts out in verse 30. The bold reveal God's power. The power of God for salvation. Those two words, but God. We talked about it as we were going through 1 John. They're overflowing with good news. For sinners like you and me, who are lost and completely unable to save ourselves, it's not but Jennifer, but Scott, but Amber, but Frankie. It's but God. God is the one doing these things. And it's that good news that's there shows that we're completely unable to save ourselves in our dead set rebellion against God, there might not be two words that are more hopeful that someone could utter, but God. We see these words again and again in connection with God's salvation. Romans 5.8, this is a verse you may have memorized if you're talking about evangelizing someone. It says, but God shows his love for us in this way that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God shows his love. Ephesians 2, 4-5 through 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. But God. It's through Christ's death and resurrection that God offers forgiveness of sins. Right there in verse 38 as we uh, keep looking at that he says, Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man's Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed from the law of Moses. But God raised him for the dead for forgiveness of sins, proclaimed to you so that you could be freed. This is freedom. Freedom from obedience to sin, which leads to death, to obedience in Christ, which leads to righteousness. It's what Paul almost continually talks about as he's as he's teaching the church. The bold reveal the power of God as they look to his word. But not only that, we reaffirm forgiveness. We reaffirm forgiveness. Oh, I even had those verses up there and I forgot all about them. <laughs> this message of salvation, it's not complete without the forgiveness of our sins. And Paul made that Known as he shared with these men, women, children who were there listening to the word of God. Our sin separates us from a holy God. I hope you know that. And our sin makes it so we can't live in his holiness, and he can't live in our unholiness, with our unholiness. Those words in verse 38, through this man, they refer back to God's son who brings that forgiveness. He was raised from the dead and did not see corruption It's through Jesus' death and resurrection alone that forgiveness is possible. He took the punishment we deserve. He took the wrath of God for our sinfulness. And now forgiveness is proclaimed as it was there in verse 38. Saying, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. The bold reaffirm this forgiveness. Now, if you were to go out on the streets And see someone who is being bold. Sometimes we have bold people that are holding signs, whether it's in Palmdale at the corner, whether it's in Hollywood. We were just in Hollywood, uh, I guess it was a while back, but uh, people are there holding signs. Their signs are saying one statement. It's missing the forgiveness of God. It's missing the hope for salvation. Instead, it only talks about condemnation. Have you noticed those signs? You're going to hell. And normally they're speaking loud with their microphone. And uh, so as they consider those words, they're looking at one small aspect of what is proclaimed to people that there's an urgency for this. But that urgency is just one part of the message. The main message, that Paul has given it, is what God has done, what his son has done, Who God is through his power and the salvation that's brought through the forgiveness of sins. But it's not without urgency. It's not without that that note of what God will do if you don't believe. Verse 40 starts with the word, Beware. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Or as NASB says, Beware so that the things spoken of the prophets may not come to you. It's a sense of urgency for their salvation. Not an urgency of their condemnation. Beware. Scoffers. Perish. You will not believe. Those are some hard words. They won't even believe if it's told to their face. But warnings of the urgency to believe. It's not the meat of the message actually. But it is a simple and clear reminder of the results of rejecting the message of salvation. It's not the opening line to the play. Hey, sorry, you're going to hell. No. No. That's part of it. It's not even the final words. Sorry, you're going to hell. The idea is that it's a loving warning to not turn away from truth. Hear the truth you have. Here's the truth that you've been given. You have eternal life that's been offered to you. You have forgiveness for your sins if you choose to follow God. And here's a quick reminder. If you don't choose these things, it's not going to look good for you. We want to keep the focus on salvation, though, not condemnation. Beware, if you hear the good news of salvation, don't ignore it. Believe. We don't want you to perish. We don't want you to scoff at God. We don't want you to turn away from what he is offering. We want you to believe in his abundant grace. And now is the time for salvation. So as we think about the urgency that's there, it's part of our desire to proclaim the message, but it's not an urgency to send them away from the message. It's an urgency to draw them into that message of salvation. And by bringing them into that urgency of salvation, we remind them to rehearse God's grace. The bold really rehearse God's grace. Verse 42 continues here. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. Who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. What does that mean, to continue in the grace of God? As you think about it, in your own life, it's reviewing what God has done. Reviewing these things that Paul has, has just proclaimed. Reflecting on our own sinfulness and unholiness. Realizing your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Repent and follow God, and then repeat. Do that again. Continue in the grace of the Lord. Don't just think about it intellectually for a moment and be convinced of the truths of the gospel. Instead, submit to that truth and embrace Christ completely. That's exactly what these people did, rehearsing God's grace. They then come together and regularly worship to be reminded of God's grace. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. The bold rehearse God's grace. Verse forty-five continues. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was had spoken, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, "It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge for yourselves unworthy of eternal life." Behold. We are going to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. The next idea of the bold is that they respond in obedience. The world, both then and today, would say that the Jews responded in boldness. Oh, I can't believe you're taking over our people. I can't believe you're bringing all these people that want to believe in what you're saying. They spoke up for their emotion as they were being marginalized by the crowds. They were feeling a little left out. If you look up current news about boldness, pretty much all of it, a large majority praise someone for what they've done, how they spoke out as a, in some sort of a minority setting, and no matter what it is, it doesn't, doesn't matter what that minority setting is, but they spoke out and they, they weren't feeling like they were being heard, and so they were bold. It is the public actually praising the selfish, self-focused lives of the world as opposed to to recognizing the sin that is in them. The Jews back in the time that the book of Acts was written, they were feeling left out. Here all of a sudden was a new message and people were, were wanting to hear it, wanting to know more, committing their lives to this message. And so what did they do? They insulted God's messengers. They twisted the truth to their own agenda. They reviled Paul and Barnabas. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's just a little warning. Don't do that. Hear the word of God and receive it. God's appointed messengers speak together here in response to that false boldness of the Jews. And it said, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. They didn't shy back. They didn't pull away. And in the New Testament, boldness, that word, we even talked about that in 1 John. We brought it up a a little bit ago. It's really restricted to that free and open proclamation of the gospel. Saying when something is bold, It has to do with your speaking, how you're proclaiming it. It's not you just walking along and acting bold. You've got a certain stance or something like that. No, that's not it. It's how you proclaim the word of God boldly, freely, without the commentary of the world, without the deception of the world. As Paul told the Corinthians, he said, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And so we're called to obedience to proclaim the word of God as it is written and as it has been proclaimed to us. So the bold respond in obedience. I think the Jews judge themselves unworthy, I don't think. God's word says they judge themselves unworthy. Unworthy of eternal life. That means that they hear the message of eternal life and they're like, oh, that's, we don't need that. We don't. And so they judge themselves unworthy of this free gift that God has given them. Their rejection of salvation was really representative of the whole group. We saw the the Jews in Jerusalem are first mentioned. Here again, the Jews are rejecting what was being said. God used their disobedience, though, and their rejection to bring his salvation to the entire world. This part here in in Acts 13, it makes a major shift. We see sometimes when God is working in the nations outside of Israel, but even Jesus came and said that he was there to proclaim to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles but this shift switches all of that. We saw in Romans 1.16 that it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. The Jew, the specific group, the Israelites that God had chosen, they rejected his message. They rejected what God had said. And now it is going to the Gentile, or the, a phrase that means for the whole world. Gentile is synonymous with a stranger, someone not known by God, A non-Jew, not part of God's chosen nation or people. As we talked on our uh, Friday, fifth Sunday night, we talked about hospitality, how God's salvation was him showing hospitality to strangers. Him saying, I am bringing you in as a stranger to my family. And that is what he's doing here to the Gentiles. He's allowing these strangers to come and be part of what God is doing. Verse 47 continues there. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is the mission of the church. It was the mission God gave the church. We see at the end of Matthew that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 47, he continues. That idea, is, as Paul is repeating that, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Doing the same thing, going and making disciples. So as re- we respond in obedience, we also reflect God's light. This light that God has made for the Gentiles. I think one of the one of the main things that can keep us from being bold is is being worried about what we're supposed to say. You know, there's all sorts of guidelines. We have the Romans Road, You have evangelism explosion, all these things that have gone on through years of how, how do we proclaim the gospel? How do we say it just right? And we say it just by right, by saying the words of God actually, but that can keep us back when we think about, are we proclaiming or how are we bold? What are, what are we supposed to do? You know, we can be bold because we are simply reflecting God's light. It says, I made you a light for the Gentiles. You don't have to make yourself a light. While God made you a light, you're acting as a flashlight, a light that is shining, but you're not on your own. You're reflecting the light of God through you. He wants our words and our lives to point back to him, his power, because the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, he is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Paul loves these, this use of light, and it's such a good way of seeing the difference between darkness and light, those who believe and those who do not. Second Corinthians 4, verse 5 and 6 here. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God working through us, through the light that he has given us. So no matter where you are in your maturity in Christ, if you're a believer, you have something worthwhile to proclaim to those around you, the light that God has given you. The more you grow, the brighter your light becomes, yes, and then it's easier for you and for others to be able to see your light in the darkness. The bold reflect God's light. Not only do they reflect God's light, they reproduce contagiously. As we keep reading here in verse 48, the story just keeps getting better of what God is doing, what he is doing with the proclamation of Paul. It says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. That is incredible. There was an ongoing turning of hearts. Men, women, and children hearing the word of God and becoming believers, as many as were appointed. The bold reproduced contagiously. Now, even if you're not on social media, you might know what it means when a post or a meme or a video goes viral, right? You know, you, One time it's posted, the next day or next moment, 100 people are following it. Overnight, a million people are viewing this thing and they say it's gone viral. Well, we were just reading in the, in the book of Mark and Jesus talks about this parable of the seeds. There's four different seeds that land on, or really the same seed that lands on four different soils. And uh, those soils, the last one said, the seed that lands on those soils are the ones which are sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and are bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. The message that God has given has gone out. And contagiously spread to those around. As many as were appointed received eternal life. The men and the women and the children that heard the gospel and were appointed, they didn't go into a cave. They didn't go talk to themselves about their precious. No, they were out. They were out in the world. They didn't do that at all. These new believers told other believers in their villages, in the marketplace, in their region, they were bold in their faith. And there's no doubt that they were not ashamed of their salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me. As we continue to think on that, Paul wrote, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal possession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The bold reproduce contagiously. As we come to the last verse in chapter thirteen, I think you'll find the final response of the bold as well. The final promise to the bold as we boldly proclaim, it says that the bold rejoice. What a simple response at the end of it all. The bold rejoice. Chapter 13, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. What more? Can you ask for it as you, as you have heard God's word? Have you have seen it change your life? As you then proclaim it to others and see it change their lives? The final response is rejoicing. Rejoicing for what God has done. Rejoicing for his spirit that is in you. Filling you, directing your thoughts. Allowing you to continue for the next time that you're asked to share a word of encouragement. Each one of those headlines is sort of a, a point of Application as we think through all of them. For Paul and Barnabas, the believers in Acts, and the church until Jesus returns, Jesus is the source of our boldness. The ability to proclaim God's salvation in a world that doesn't want to hear. It isn't something we drum up or whip into shape or just practice to ourselves, although we do practice the gospel to ourselves again and again. But it's through faith in Jesus Christ. His work in our lives that we have boldness. We can know God, We know his salvation, know his purpose because of Jesus' selfless act of becoming a man, humbling himself to death on a cross. Remember, but God raised him from the dead and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One mediator between God and man. We, we hear all of those things that God has done and it should give us hope. We look to the word of God even as we have this morning, and we have confidence in him, confidence in what Christ has done for us. And we can have boldness in our lives as a result of these things. Paul, again, says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Our reply to the gospel in hope brings even more boldness. And it's not a new concept. It's not something Paul just thought up again. David spoke on these things. David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? There's boldness even in those words. Our fear is put aside as we seek and follow the Lord. We don't need to let the fear of the world and their response to God reflect and redirect our response. We let our hope in the Lord lead our thinking, emotions, and expectations. Paul wasn't alone in his boldness. As you see up here, many times he had strong Christian friends at his side, And when he didn't, the church was praying for him. Boldness doesn't just happen. It happens because of God working in our hearts. One way he does that is through the prayers of the church. We pray for each other. Each week when we come together, we pray for each other. We have a sheet that gives us things to pray for throughout the week for one another. We have prayer requests that come out. Paul knew that prayer was part of boldness. He's probably the boldest person that we know. I mean, I think that we'll ever know Apart from Christ, and he still longed for the prayers of the Church, Read that again with me unless you've already read it to yourself. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's even in chains, waiting in prison for his trial to to be come to a completion. He knows death is is the next thing on the agenda. And he prays for boldness that he can speak even more. Pray for each other. Pray for church leadership. Pray for yourself. Pray for boldness and, and don't stop. Even if you're in prison, even if you feel like you're suffering as a result of the gospel, you're in a good place if that's why you're suffering as a result of the gospel. So the bold, just to go through these real quick, we realize opportunities. We take advantage of what God has put in our right in front of us. We don't just wait around and think, well, oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, maybe, no. Every, every time God gives an opportunity, we should realize that opportunity in boldness because it reveals God's power. It reaffirms his forgiveness. It helps us rehearse God's grace. It's our response in obedience and it reflects God's light. It then goes on to reproduce contagiously as a result of God's spirit, which leads us to rejoice. Paul left a final example for the believers as he prays for the churches, as he con- considers them. Pray with me as I read from Paul's closing prayers for the church. For this reason, I bow my head before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through the Spirit in his, in his inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To this he has called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, May the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.